When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Corey McKernan from 40 metres out, this will hurt. He's kicked a very good goal. Comes to Robert Scott. One out is McKernan with Dick Voss. Oh, Dick Voss let it get behind him. McKernan for goal. It bounces through. Yes, highlights of the career of Corey McKernan. There were plenty of them. He played 196 games for North Melbourne, 237 AFL games overall for North Melbourne and Carlton. He is now the founder of Walk With Me. He joins me in the studio today. Corey, welcome. Good morning, mate. How are we going? Very well, thank you, mate. Now, let's uh, first of all get the, the pessimistic stuff out of the way first. You went to the footy yesterday, watched North play, 17 <laughs> no, losses in a row. Oh, look, I, I think it's like we said that I'm more sort of glass half full. And I think for all West Coast and, and North Melbourne fans, I think, um, yeah, nothing's nothing's ever as good as it seems and nothing's ever as bad as it seems. And I think uh, both organisations have shown over the journey. And like you think in the last 40, 40 odd years, I know West Coast haven't been in the competition for 40 years, but North Melbourne and West Coast have had a lot of success over that time and they've got a lot of great people at both those clubs and whilst at the moment it's not going real well, but eventually they'll they'll get it right over time and especially a club like West Coast. So that's my first opportunity. I've never been to Optus Stadium before. So, and I know we spoke about it. If you're a young player that was going to get drafted and you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> why wouldn't you want to come and play footy here? It's a fantastic place, like 60,000 people, 100,000 members, brilliant place to play. And look, I know they're going through a bit of a tough patch at the moment, like the Kangas, but they'll they'll get it right. We'll come back to the footy in a little while, but tell us about Walk With Me. You founded it during the pandemic. Why and, and what does it do? Well, yeah, I saw, unfortunately, I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper that the suicide toll was going to outstrip the coronavirus toll. Um, the little short story about uh, around that time and how I started was that I thought, well, hang on, I'll, I'll start doing Zoom walks with people. So it was more walking and talking. How could I share ideas about lifting the mood during the pandemic? I think that first year of the pandemic, we did 103 Zoom walks. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7am uh, now. I live in Queensland now. Um, it was a little bit easier for me getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning than for the Melbourne people at 7 o'clock in the morning when it was pitch black. But at least I felt like I was doing something during the yeah. pandemic. And, and what we've now, we are one of the few organisations that we had to change after the pandemic because, yes, I enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed what I do and working in the space, but had to think of a new idea and the new vision that we've, we've come up with now. It's elite athletes and coaches supporting mental health. So... What we do is um, we go out to organisations now. I've got Barry Hall and Shani Layton as ambassadors. We go out and take training. So Barry would take the AFL, Shani could take the netball, come in afterwards, um, and then I do the talk about the pillars, about how you can look after yourself from a physical and mental point of view and, and be proactive. Like it's all the stuff that we've learned as athletes about looking after yourself. And it's, um, yeah, for me, it's quite weird to see it turn into something 
like it has because I did it to help people out during the pandemic and now it's turned into something. It's a, and We're an official not-for-profit and it's been a, one of the best things we've ever done. September 9, you've got a big event coming up over here. Tell us about that. I think Barry Hall and, and the great Cooter man, Anthony Kutafidis. Well, yeah, we're, I think we're on Friday. It's Friday, September the 8th, I think. September I'm 8th, right, okay. Yeah, so we're here at Optus Stadium where we, we're going to do an event with um, Cooter and, and Barry Hall and I'm Maybe even Scotty Cummings, we can wheel old Scotty out. But no, really looking forward to it. Um, as you know, like I've I've got a lot of great friends over here in Western Australia, and to be over here on the weekend, um, obviously with the lockdowns and not being able to get into Western Australia, but to catch up with a lot of old friends. I took a big group of people to the football yesterday. It was um, great to be back over here. So let's get back to to North. It's fascinating. You know, I I take an optimistic view about North. I I look at their young talent. I'm I'm a bit sceptical that even they should be getting AFL assistance. And the AFL is probably looking back and saying it's been a while, so we need them uh, back in the mix as quickly as we we can. But George Wardlaw, I rate incredibly highly, didn't play on the weekend. I think Davies Uniac is just a a super player. Um, Josh Simpkins a very good player and probably not, uh, he's probably underrated by people who haven't seen him play a lot mm. um, because North have been a bit off Broadway. And, of course, Harry Sheasel as well. And Taron Thomas, who we saw again back and playing well on the weekend. There's, there's a lot of young talent coming through at North. There's, a, there's reason for hope, isn't there? Oh, there is. And as you mentioned, I think as football fans, that's all you want. You just you, you want hope. You want to go to the footy. Um, you want to see – you want to go on the journey and see what these young players are going to do. And – Again, I'm I'm more optimistic, like 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 yourself. Where um, I, I'm happy to go to those games, and I think as we mentioned off air, there was a lot of games last year that when the Eagles got up by five goals yesterday, that would have turned into a 60, 70, 80 point loss. And what they've shown this year, even though we've lost 17 games in a row, which is not good, but I, I think they've actually really gone forward. And 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 it's the same for the West Coast fans out there. When you see someone like a Harry Sheasel in that last quarter, just his poise and how he can use the ball and under pressure, they're the sort of things I know, yeah, it's great. We all might want the number one draft pick, but it also goes to show, as you said, that when you when you end up with someone like Harry Sheasel, uh, then you've got Wardlaw and these sorts of guys. It really does give you hope in terms of moving forward. Yes, there's always a bit of mischief amongst WA footy fans about uh, their footy. And uh, Ian, who's clearly a Fremantle supporter, says, I love this talk of Harley Reid to West Coast. Surely we can tank in the Derby and give them <laughs> pick two. It's an interesting um, draft coming up, though, Corey, because um, there's talk of McKercher. Um, I think he was the Allies boy. Might be, a, might be a Tasmanian boy, I reckon. He's rated very highly. Jed Walter, of course, will probably end up at Gold Coast under the academy system. He's a very good player. Um, local boy from over here, Daniel Curtin from Claremont, is an incredibly talented kid who can play back and midfield and a little bit forward as well. So it's kind of a it's a strange view we take, and we take this almost every year. The number one pick is like this godlike figure, and it, it almost assumes that there's no other kid in Australia that can play much. And the reality is there's probably... 30 kids around Australia who are really, really good players. And, yeah, someone might elevate above the others. But um, but it's an interesting view we take every year where there's this one kid that's just an absolute must-have, isn't I don't, it? I don't think you can go any far wrong from anyone in the in the top 10. Yeah. Like, I know, like you said, we've, we've nearly got this messiah complex. We all think we get the number one pick and it's going to solve all our problems. But look at what North did last year. They ended up splitting... I mean, you end up getting a couple of picks and that 
might be an option for West Coast. You don't know what they're, how hard they're going to cut into their list at the end of the year. They might decide, well, hang on, we're going to get that number one pick and turn it into three or something like that. Someone might come with a really amazing offer, but I don't know. It is, it is pretty tempting. Um, I know West Coast might have had the number one pick once before, I think, in their history. I'm trying to think. Uh, so Juddy was pick three. What about Nick Nick Nat? Nick Nat was, was pick, two. Nick Nat was two. Yeah. So Jack Watts was taken one ahead of Nick Nat. Yeah. Um, but look, like I said, I, I, you're never going to go too far wrong in that top ten, and it's as you needs basis. Um, but yeah, like I, I think anyone that that goes within there, uh, they're they're like a lock. They're, you really, it's very rare that you're not going to get a hundred, two hundred game player. Where the real gems are really from. 20 to beyond then. Like, and again, that's where your recruiting really comes into it. And if you nail a draft where basically round one, round two, round three, round four, you get players and all of them, that's when you really make ground on the competition, isn't it? If you go back and look at all the dynasty teams and all the teams that climb the ladder quickly, there's one draft you can identify. They've absolutely, their recruiters have absolutely nailed it and they're getting good players at pick 50 and, and that sort of thing. It makes a makes a little bit different. Oh, a big difference, sorry. Um, let's go back to the 1990s and you're coming through at North Melbourne under Dennis Pagan. Must have been a hell of a time. Seven preliminary finals in a row. Oh, look, it was the stars really aligned. Like, I I'm, I'm think I'm incredibly grateful to be able to go into a football club at that time. Um, I suppose the, the other thing that was incredibly rare that, it was a whole group of us that came through the under-19s, the famous under-19s, and we were the, the last year of the under-19s. I know in my under-19s team there was myself, Glenn Archer, Stewie Anderson, and again, but that was in our team. But then the ones who come before us that were also in the under-19s were like Wayne Carey, Wayne Swass, Anthony Rock. Like you're talking about all these guys that formed the nucleus of the mm. the 1996 Premiership. But no, in, incredibly uh, grateful to be able to play at North Melbourne during that time. And and it, the rivalry that we, we had with the West Coast, I ran into um, Drew Banfield the other night and I was having a, a beer and a chat with him. And, and I said, it was our rivalry with West Coast. And, and it was interesting to hear him say this, the same thing. There was no hatred there. It was just this mutual respect that you wanted to beat one another because they were the best. And those uh, those battles that we had with West Coast during the nineties were, I did say to Banners, I said you nearly felt like a bit a, a bit a, an extra in a movie when the whole Jakovic and Carey, yep. we we um, land at the airport, come down those escalators, and it was like it was Wayne and it was Carey Jakovic, and we were just all bit players in the movie. <laughs> It's interesting. I just received a text come through on the temperate bedshed text line. Drew Banfield was a number one draft pick. There you go. Back in the uh, back in the early nineteen nineties. Ah, Justin Lane out there on the panel telling me Michael Gardner as well. Yeah, I think they got that by sending Ian Downsborough to Port Adelaide, and they literally sent him to Port Adelaide. I think he turned up for an end of season players trip and got told that. Uh, we think he should go to Port Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty harsh, isn't it? We, we think you should go. You are going. You are going, exactly. Um, what was it like under Dennis Pagan? Because we watched uh, – Dennis Pagan reminded me then of what Damien Hardwick probably was now with the go-ahead game. You were very much um, kick long, tall forwards, trust your smalls to be at their feet, trust your, small, uh, trust your talls to give a contest – Everyone was on the same page. It was a brutal style of football as well. What was it like to play in? Well, when you when you think about it, and one thing that sort of rings true every year where 
Like, it, it, I don't know. And maybe Dennis picked up some of that football, even from Tommy Hafey, but whether we took it to another level, every year during September, and people out there just maybe watch this when the finals are going to happen, the teams that can actually play and like play that contested brand of footy, and like you said, that knock-on, surge-it-on, get-it-going-your-way mentality, that's what Collingwood do very well, Melbourne, when they get on a roll. And, it, and it probably when you think about it, especially in September when the pressure's on, you can't overuse the ball. It's, it's a very, like, it, as you said, it was a very brutal way to play, but it probably suited us. Like, when you consider the body types that you had in there, when you have Wayne Carey, myself, Glenn Archer, Mick Martin... There's no shrinking violets in in uh, in that crew that you you're going to be able to play that sort of footy. So, but no, it was um, yeah. But look, I, I also think we probably could have tweaked our game plan a little bit as well. I think with in the end, sometimes you just kick it long all the time, and and mm. a lot a lot of the games we play against West Coast, they knew that you'd have Matier and McKenna. They'd just mop up around the back, and the ball would go whizzing down the other end. Was Carey the best player you saw in your time? He's definitely the best player I played with, um, and I like. I'm, I, I, there's no way I would have become the player I would have without watching the way that Wayne Carey prepared for games of footy. And again, I know we were talking about it off air. The thing that's underrated with really good players is what people like don't see during the week, and that was the way that Wayne actually prepared himself. He was meticulous in his preparation, so it was a case of monkey see, monkey do. Like I. You know what I mean? If Wayne was going for an extra swim, I'd go for an extra swim or go for an extra recovery or do an extra skill session. It was all these little things about how you got taught how to be a, not just a good player, but a great player. And I think that was the, the, one of the most underrated things that Wayne brought to our group was, yeah, the way he prepared and he dragged everyone else with him. In 1996, Corey, mm-hmm. you polled 21 votes in a Brownlow medal. You were in eligible what do you remember about it? Was it Nick Holland? Was it Nick Holland against Hawthorne? Was no, that... that was that was the other bloke that lost to Brownlow. That, that was, was Chris Grant. Chris Grant. <laughs> yeah, okay. What what did you do? What was your indiscretion? I fell in the back of John Barnes. It was very um, very clumsy. What I did, I probably today, I probably I don't know. Probably people have probably seen it a million times. But whether you you may may not even get a suspension in today's um, environment, but. I'd never, I've never ever cared about not not winning the Brownlow. I'm more proud of the way I handled the whole of that grand final week. Yeah. Because I'd hurt my knee in the prelim final. Um, I got carried off. I, I did my posterior cruciate in the prelim final. So then had the Brownlow happen on the Monday. Had to deal with that on the Tuesday. Wednesday I went into Vimy House and had 30 or 40 mils of blood drained down of my knee, and I was nearly not going to play. Um, and then. To come out on grand final day, and I come out and had 31 possessions in the grand final, like the way I handled that whole week, I was 22 years old. Mm. So like when I sort of have a bit of a laugh nowadays when they say, oh, Ruckman are young and he's only 22 or 23, and I'm like, hello. Like Dennis wouldn't have, with Matty Capuano and I, we were, I was I was 22 and Matty Capuano was 21. So it's just a, I don't subscribe to that theory about when they, t- if you tell People, they've got time to develop. Guess what? They'll take all their time to develop. But now, in regards to the Brownlow, I actually have got a Brownlow medal, by the way. You have? No, Wayne Carey and Anthony Rock. There was a, a, a promotion at McDonald's in 1996, and they stopped. So Brownlow medal happened on the Monday of grand final week. On the Tuesday night, we come into training, and obviously the Brownlows happened the night before. 
So McDonald's had the, they had this particular promotion that year that you could you could get a Norm Smith medal, a Coleman medal, all these different medals that you could get at Macca's with a meal deal. So Anthony Rock and Wayne Carey stopped at McDonald's and they actually got me a, a Brownlow medal and they put a blue and white ribbon through it and I've still got it. <laughs> I've still got it to this day. And you know what? It's, it probably also speaks volumes about how close we were at North Melbourne at that time that, it, in all honesty, it probably means as much getting it from my mates as what it, the real thing. Fascinating bit of trivia about your career. Did a suspension also cost you the rising star? Yeah, just down the road. At the Wacker, you <laughs> tripped you trip Jason Ball? And it, yeah. was a, and it was a hand trip, wasn't it? A diving hand trip. Yeah, I remember so- it. Well, it was number one. It was probably a rarity that I was actually chasing. So that was <laughs> that was a rarity. But um, no, but what happened? They so yeah, tripping by hand. They actually got rid of it a year later. Yep. So you didn't. It was yeah. It wasn't even a suspension or anything. So no, I often joke about it that Greg. I, I love my golf, and I, I grew up idolising Greg Norman. I, I sort of feel like I nearly became like a bit of Greg Norman. I found new ways to lose awards. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, North Melbourne's a fascinating club. They're, they're, a, they're a tight-knit club. As you mentioned, they've been an incredibly successful club under people like Pagan and even, you know, preliminary finals under Danny Laidley uh, a little bit later on. Brad Scott got a lot out of them in his, his time as well. But it's a small club, and so they're always walking a fine line between existence and extension. Are, are you comfortable the club will survive, or do you worry about it? Uh not even, not even in in doubt. Like if you, for those obviously people in Western Australia can't see it, but the whole development, and what they're doing with the, all the facilities and the infrastructure that down at Arden Street, it's it's a far cry from what we had to go through during the nineties, where we had holes in the under the old stand there? in the in the old grandstand. But you know what? That was that was for us. It was quite interesting. That was nearly like a a bit of a like a badge of honour for us. Like we. It's amazing. Like West Coast would have had their facilities, which I, I gather would have far outstripped what we had. But um, yeah, like we always that the, the old we had the boxing ring in there. Like we we do boxing with Jack King and and that, and that was that was integral to even to my development. A lot of players' development just going in that bit of old school mentality that we had. But now, as far as um, I think North Melbourne's future, the other thing that's exciting for the Kangaroos is there's a there's a pocket of there's a Pocket of land out the back where the the council depot is, that's that's going to go soon, and there's going to be a second ground go out there as well. So, it's pretty exciting what they're doing in and around North Melbourne, and I think they'll be fine. We're going to take a break now, and we'll come back and talk to Corey some more. We've got a lot to talk to him about. We can talk to him a little bit about his former premiership teammate Adam Simpson as well. This is mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll take a break and be back with more of Corey after the break. It's a remarkable performance by this team. They finished the 20th century as the team to beat in the new millennium. As the time ticks down and the Kangas have won a fourth premiership, well done, Dennis Pagan. You deserve everything you've got today and so does your club. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. We're talking to Corey McKernan. Uh, text message coming through from Lisa at Allenbrook, one of our regulars. Duff, enjoying listening to the interview with Corey, champion footballer and a legend. Can you please ask Corey why he's had the nickname Boris since he was a kid? I think they're getting mixed up with Corey Enright. 
Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple answer. <laughs> Lisa, sorry, you got your wires crossed there. I was thinking, I've never heard you called, no. <laughs> called Boris. I've been called a lot of things, though. But not, <laughs> Boris is not one of them. Hey, they just played, the obviously, the, the end of the 1999 grand final. Um, seven preliminary finals in a row, as I mentioned, two premierships. And in the late 1990s, people regarded you as important to the Kangaroos as Wayne Carey. That must have been a pretty heady time in your life. Um, I don't know. I, I probably never saw myself in the same space as Wayne Carey. Maybe I should have, but I never – I don't know, because you always looked at Wayne and the, the way he went about it. You probably thought at different times how he could impact the game like Wayne. And that's what I mean. That's where he was so good for me in terms of the way he went about it, um, the way he prepared. But it was pretty good during that stage when I think back to it. There were certain games when I knew that him and I were up and about that if I walked down to the forward line with him, it was a case of uh, – there was a couple of times I actually thought they're not going to be able to stop us. Like, if we were really on, like, it's, I mean, if I'm six foot five, Wayne Carey's six foot four, and both of us love taking contested marks, it was a pretty, pretty good uh, feeling to have when you're going to strut down to the forward line where you've got number 18 and number 31 walking down there. What are your, what was your favourite premiership out of 96, 99? No, it's like, it's probably like your kids. There's no favourite kids. But you know what? And, and I've even heard Wayne say this. Yeah, we won in 96 and 99, but you nearly think more about the one that we lost, which was 1998. Um, and when you look at it on, on paper, no disrespect to the other teams in 96 and 99, the 98 team was probably the best team on paper, like when you looked at who was in that team. but 2-11 in the second when, quarter. I was just about to say <laughs> that. when you kick, If you kick two goals, 11. Um, but again, Dennis Pagan has a, a, a very famous saying, if you only had whiskers, you'd be your uncle. Yeah. And uh, oh, look, you also can't help but think if you have 13 scoring shots, if you kick six goals, seven or seven goals, six, the game's over. But yeah. full credit to Adelaide. But yeah, it's it, it does. Uh, only recently I've, I've seen a little bit of footage from that game. And it, and it it is interesting, um, like when you think about it nowadays, where you'd actually do a review after a, a bad performance. So I remember like seeing this about Kobe Bryant, where there was a girl he was mentoring, and she played this like really bad game, and she said, "No, no, I, I actually don't want to. I don't want to watch it. Like I, I'll put it." And that was us. But then what Kobe said, and this was, you couldn't have probably done this back then. Kobe said, "No, we'll sit down, and we'll. How, what are we going to learn out of this?" Um, we never did a review after the 98 grand final, which was probably not a smart thing to do when you think about it. It was like, we, it was a case of, well, it never really happened type thing rather than, well, okay, this is going to be brutal to actually sit down and have to watch it, but what are we going to learn out of this so it doesn't happen again? Yeah, it was a good team. What was, tell us about Adam Simpson. We're seeing Adam Simpson under a lot of pressure over here at the moment. He was a premiership teammate of yours. Tell us about the Adam Simpson you remember as a teammate. Oh, look... <laughs> The way that Simo goes about it, and I know even at the moment, he would literally be leaving no stone unturned and probably not hardly sleeping at all because I know what he's about. It's not only like I met Simo as the captain. He was probably as good a captain, 100% he's in the same category as a captain and leader as Wayne Carey and both vastly different leaders. Wayne was more of a... I'm a leader by example. Everyone come with me and follow me. 
Whereas Simo had this unbelievable care and interest in everyone. Like, he, he would never stop thinking about ways, like how he, how he could improve the footy club or how he could make things better. And it's no surprise that he's gone on to be like a, a successful coach. And I do really feel for him what, what they're going through at the moment. But I also know he would be literally, he'd be working 24 hours a day. And, and, and you just hope that he's actually looking after himself because you're in WA, you're, you're the coach of the Eagles. There's nowhere to hide. I just hope that he's looking after himself from a, from a mental point of view as well. How would he handle this sort of pressure, Corey? What, what, um, <laughs> I think, um, well, look, and I'm not speaking out of school. I found out that, uh, look, and it's the one great thing with the North Melbourne Footy Club. I know that um, Glenn Archer, uh, Lee Colbert, Corey Jones, Brent Harvey, I'm pretty sure that they caught up with Simo or maybe even on, on Friday night. They might have even had just a couple of beers together. And you know what? Sometimes that's all it takes for, like, everyone out there. If you've got your mates by your side and, yes, you might be going through through some things in your life, but you can't beat – just sitting down with your friends and cutting everything else out of it. But I, I thought it was um, – when I heard about the boys, and they didn't know I was coming here. I only ran into Arch across the road at the um, Canfield. And um, I thought it was – when I heard that, it's, it speaks volumes even about North Melbourne and the mateship that we've got, that one of their own's going through a tough time. And who knows, it might have been the, the beers they had with Simo Friday night might have been the game changer. <laughs> he did a couple of things different, I have to say. I was fascinated by the way he used Jack Darling early in the game. He was covering a lot more ground than he normally would and uh, and had a real impact on the game in the first quarter as well. Corey, you soared to great heights in 96, 97, 98, 99. You also had a real slump in your career. How hard was that to deal with? And did that influence your interest in people's mental health and, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I still, it, you're 100% right. I've always had an interest, I think, in the space of, yeah, looking after yourself from a physical, mental point of view. Um, if anything, what I probably did during my career, I probably, the one thing that you can't, whether you're doing your job here or anything else, I was really, really good at the preparation side of things. But sometimes that balance would get out of whack. And the one thing that was missing from it was having fun. Mm. And that was the one thing that sometimes if I was too much footy, 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 it was only – and what I'd encourage anyone out there, um, when you want to look after yourself from a, from a physical and, and mental point of view, it's about, okay, all the spokes in the wheel, how am I going to look after – I can't just put all my attention into one area. How am I going to get the balance? And I still remember there was a – a game which is highly embarrassing. Like you talk about before, I had 31 possessions in the 96 grand final, right? So that shows what you can do when you're operating at your absolute peak. I had a game which I'm, I suppose I am proud to say, but it wasn't that good. I had a game where I didn't touch the ball, which is embarrassing. But I, I distinctly remember going into that game, if it was in today's environment, I, I should have put my hand up because I was not coping mentally. But it just goes to show the difference when you're when you're really at your peak. And then I felt like at that time I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, go out. It's a pretty special effort to play a full game of footy and not touch the ball, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll take a break there. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We're talking to Corey McKernan, North Melbourne champion and uh, fantastic founder of the Walk With Me Foundation. We'll be back after the break. McKernan. 
good as it gets. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD, and we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. Live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. Corey, you did mention about your knee injury uh, back in the 1996 preliminary final. It became a problem for you, didn't it? Because all Ruckman, Ruckman were doing their PCLs at that time, they ended up changing the rules, didn't they, around the centre bounce so that it stopped happening. Did it become a problematic thing for you later in your career? I know, but don't don't even get me started about what happens in the ruck, right? You know how easily you can solve. So when everyone out there listening, watch in the centre bounce. And you know how you can fix it very simply. If the ruckman takes their eyes off the ball, then pay a free pay kick. Pay a free kick, yeah. It is the one position, if the AFL can let me know, I didn't know... You're allowed. Apparently, you're allowed to look at the ruckman all the time. It's the only position on the ground where they allow it, yep. and it would stop it in an instant. If if and all the ruckman I was talking to Todd Goldstein about this, and he he joked about the fact that when he first started, I, I think I got stuck into him because he he was looking at the other ruckman. Now, when I was um, growing up. When you looked at the other ruckman, you know what I'm alluding to. What they used to say about you yeah. that you might have been a little bit jumpy. Yes, but it's I don't know. It frustrates the hell out of me. It does not matter how long you've got to run up or whatever. If I'm looking, if I get to look at you, of course it's going to increase the chances I can jump into into a specific spot, doesn't it? <laughs> but if you, the whole art of ruck work, which was Polly Farmer, Sam Newman, Simon Madden. That is an art, an, an actual art to look at the ball and work out how you can position yourself between the other ruckman and the ball. That is legitimate ruck work, but they, 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 they need to fix it. Tell them to look at the ball. It is so frustrating. So it was the preliminary final. Who did you clash knees with? To... And he did exactly that to me. Matthew Clark took his eyes off Matty the ball Clark, yep. and jumped straight into me. Yep. For that and and seen it time and time again with those ruckmen. If it happens by accident, I'm not saying you're going to stop it altogether. But if it happens by accident, I'll cop that. But not the ones like what happened with me. And I reckon that might have happened to Adam Goods. I think over here in Perth, a similar type incident at Subi Oval. <clears> at Subi Oval. Yeah. Yep. And I reckon it might have been Dean Cox. That he. I'm not saying he did the wrong thing, but when they take your eye off the ball and look at the other ruckmen. I'm, all I'm saying is it dramatically increases the chances of your PCL. But if, you, if you're actually watching the ball and it happens, well, I reckon it's less of a chance. And if it does happen, well, well it's just bad luck. Who were the best ruckmen you rucked against in your time? Oh, they were all vastly different. Like you had like some – like I like good battles even with like John Barnes, but Barnesy was very, um, very smart and, you know, I mean, the way he went about on the ground. Scott Wine was always really hard – Justin Madden was just awkward because he was so big. Um, but, yeah, the, like Spider, every, I used to work myself at, uh, up into a frenzy to go and play on Spider, um, which was quite interesting. And then I met him one day and it ruined it because then I went, oh, he's actually not a bad bloke. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few blokes like that, aren't they? We, you, you see them and uh, the way they are on the field and then off the field they're a completely different person. Yeah, but look, from a, a ruck point of view, look, I, I, I think like even someone like Dean Cox and and I know even with we spoke about it before, like Max Gorn. Now, ruckmen are very unique. That it backs up my theory exactly what's happened with Max Gorn now. That the real, like the ruckman like that, the Max Gorn, 
even Brody Grundy, these type ruckmen, they thrive on the responsibility of playing all four quarters in the ruck. It was like Dean Cox used to do that. They just love the work rate. They work themselves into the game and I don't know. It's easy to say after the fact now, but I, I was never ever a fan of the the Brody Grundy Max Gorn ex- experiment, and and it's backed up now. Have a look at the footy that all of a sudden Max has doing what he did ye- uh, yesterday. I think he had thirteen possessions in the last quarter. Yeah, Max just thrives on that responsibility in the workload, and um, I know everyone out there will come at me and say, yes, two ruckmen have worked one be- one before. No, there were Eagles fans might have mentioned. I oh, will Nick Nat and Dean Cox, but. I think at that time, I reckon that Nick Nat might have been still – that suited Nick Nat, mm-hmm. of him, that burst-type play. It really suited his style of rucking. Yeah. But whereas the Dean Cox, Brody Grundy, Max Gorn, Todd Goldstein-type ruckman, they're, they're the ones that they, – they love the responsibility of rucking all day. So you've got the September 8 function coming up over here. Of course, Barry Hall and Anthony Kudafidis, as we mentioned earlier. What other activities uh, is the foundation indulging in in WA? So, yeah, stay tuned, everyone out there, that we will uh, we will be giving uh, the opportunity for a, a sports organisation out there, and mainly we obviously geared at football if we're going to have one of our ambassadors, that someone will win a training session where we'll go out to their club We'll take training, um, then we'll come in after training, talk about the the pillars, about how they can look after themselves from a physical and mental point of view. And then we also, um, they we leave them with their very own white-labeled app. So we've actually got an ongoing connection with them. And I nearly like that bit as much as anything. It's great that we go in there and we get to talk to them on that one occasion. But more importantly, I always say to use the word, well, if we can give them more tools in their kit bag, hopefully they would never get to the point they're struggling from a physical or mental point of view. Very important in life, very important in sport as well, very important at your work. Stay happy and healthy. Corey, it's been wonderful to talk to you today. Always loved watching you guys play in the 1990s under Pagan. Uh, It was a very straightforward, honest, brave and spectacular style of footy. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was uh, really a pleasure to talk to you. No, thank you. And uh, no, great to be back in Western Australia. Got lots of people I've known over the journey. So thanks for having me. As always, we're brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. We'll take a break and we'll be back to close up the show after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Corey, quick one before I let you go. Um, question coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line from Noddy, who always asks great questions. Can you ask Corey how he thinks he'd go rucking against Max Gorn and or Nick Nat when everyone was in their prime? Oh, well, I think like anyone, you, you, you're going to back yourself in. Like, you, I, I, Look, they're, they're both interesting. I reckon out of both of them, the one that I reckon around the ground I would have been fine against him, but the one that I reckon he'd be incredibly hard in the centre bounce would have been Nick Nat. Like his centre bounce stuff, I used to watch when guys would sometimes try and jump into him, and he's his jump at the ball, so it wasn't like the vertical jump, and it's what I'd even say to Ruckman now, he was really good at jumping on that. It was like a 45-degree angle, so if he jumped into anyone, he would knock them offline. Yep. And he's, he was just unbelievably – and his follow-up work – was out of this world. Like some of the follow-ups, you know, I mean, where he'd, he'd chase and, and that's how Ruckman can really, uh, and I say it to all young, young Ruckman, yeah, 
yeah, you've got to mark the ball, but it's the follow-up stuff. Corey McKernan, thanks for joining us. Paul from Margaret River says he hasn't watched the 98 grand final yet either. Um, been a great show today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the show, Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you join us tomorrow, straight after Scotty and Goss for breakfast on SENWA.